Very nice, nice chanting. Welcome to welcome to satsang, everyone. Can you hear very well? Yeah, put it up a little bit. <coughs> First order of business is to welcome everybody uh, in Radio Land online. <coughs> Let me welcome everyone first. I like to welcome the way Baba did, which was, oh, you don't have to run away. <laughs> Baba would always say in Hindi, Sabko Varisanmane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And that was his eternal welcome, to welcome other people with love. That was the essence of spirituality. So in that spirit, I welcome everybody here and we'll get to welcoming you later. But first, uh, welcoming everyone online in the U.S. Uh, Bhagavanandaji, Chandralekha and Bob, Swami Atmananda, Susie and John, Sharvani and Maida, and then Gauri in Canada, and Govinda and Sonia in England, and Giorgio in Italy, Klaus in Germany, Sahadev in Japan, and Jay in New Zealand. And around Australia and Queensland, Diana, Sunil, Karuna, Nitya, and Penny. And in New South Wales, Mukunda and Seb, and Brahmi, welcome. And South Australia, Konkana, Janavi, Deepak and Suri. And here in Victoria, uh, Prajna Bernard, Frank, Mike and Maggie, Patricia, Susie, Sharda and Saul, uh, Uma, Chandana, Divya and Salochana. Welcome everybody. <clears throat> so um, it's always uh, exciting for me the night before an intensive uh, because uh, Baba told me many years ago in no uncertain terms repeatedly uh, in case I didn't understand him to hold intensives, hold intensives, hold intensives. And he gave me his peacock feathers to use in the intensives. And he was really intense about it, and uh, he wasn't, people uh, complained that uh, the guru is not nice to them and so on, and Baba never said, oh, my son, uh, you're here. He'd, uh, he'd said he'd say, oh, you're here, are you holding intensives? <laughs> That's the way he treated me. <coughs> but uh, I haven't stopped since. Um, so, for me, it all began just about when when I uh, this next bit, uh, you know, you know that in these programs I draw on the teachings of the great beings that I adore and always sit at the feet of the great beings, the realized beings, the sages and the saints. I always think, Gurdjieff used to talk at the, talk about the esoteric circle of humanity, that they they're the repository of this secret wisdom which is the essence of what life is about. And most people don't know about it. But those who are spiritual seekers come to learn about it. And so 
uh, I always draw on the teachings of the great beings, and particularly my favorite great being, of course, is my own guru, Baba Muktananda. And especially before an intensive, I always draw on Baba. So this one is from Baba's birthday talk, which uh, was very relevant for me. It was in 1977. Um, just just before that was when I took sannyas. I became a Swami, and he initiated a few Swamis at that time. First time he'd initiated Western Swamis. Uh, and then that was part of the birthday celebrations. There was a big yagna and the, the, the uh, sannyas ceremonies. And then, uh, if my memory serves me, I think the Maharishi Mahashyoki was there also then. <coughs> and there was a big hoo-ha. And then this is Baba's birthday talk that night. We were all freshly minted swamis, closely shaved and eager. Um, <clears throat> Baba says, um, whether you do fire rituals or yogic austerities, whether you recite the mantra or practice chanting, the one thing you have to learn from all these things is to embrace another person with great love and feel that bliss. So this is Baba's welcome. <clears throat> One thing is true. As long as a human being doesn't know his own inner self, he's not a human being. He's as good as a dead person. <clears throat> One who asks himself, who am I? Who made me? Why was I created? What am I supposed to do? One who contemplates these questions is a real human being. That's a great phrase I learned from Baba a real human being. And for Baba, a real human being is one who reflects on these profound truths. Most people just live kind of an animal-like existence, you know, just uh, going through the motions externally. But occasionally, uh, we start to awaken. Eventually, I think it happens to everyone, but it's the minority right now. Uh, all of us here are going through that process. That's why we're here in satsang. Um, but um, we start to awaken, we start to ask ourselves, what's the meaning of it all? Who am I? What is my essential nature? <clears throat> and then, he, then we become a true human being, a real human being. I love that phrase. A person only makes one mistake. He tries to understand others. He doesn't try to understand his own self. That is his downfall. The true duty of a person is to know his own self. In order to help us know the self very easily, we've had this Maha Rudra Yagna. So it was the end of a, a big uh, many-day um, fire ceremony. Maha Rudra Yagna, it's the great uh, ceremony to Shiva. And we have yagnas here. We use the, the fire pit and we make offerings and so on. Very powerful. So on that occasion, he had the Maha Rudra Baba says, the Rudra Upanishad says, the great soul Shiva, for whose sake we perform this yagna, dwells within everyone. Moreover, the Upanishad says, Rudra has taken the form of a man and his Shakti has taken the form of a woman. And they are standing in front of me. I offer my salutations to them. That's from the Upanishad, great text. <clears throat> Baba says, now I have great interest I'm very fond of poems. I also used to read the poems of the Sufis. The Sufis are the uh, mystical side of Islam. 
a great many great Sufi masters. Among the Sufis, there was a great saint named Mansur Mastana. His statement was Anao Haq, which means the same thing as the statement of the Vedas, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman, absolute consciousness. That Brahman is God. So Babi say, Anao Haq means I am God. Uh, and he, this is great heresy in Islam. And so they didn't like it at all. Uh, the mullahs or whoever it was didn't like it. <clears throat> Even so they hung him. Even when Mansur was being hung, he said, you can destroy a temple, you can destroy a mosque, you can destroy the holy cities, but never break a human heart. For that is where the real God dwells. Beautiful statement. The real temple of God is the human heart, not a building. He didn't say these things sitting on a velvet chair like I am. He didn't say these things with flowers hanging around his neck. They'd given Baba a garland. He said these things hanging from the gallows. I have to comment on that statement, which I'll tell you in a minute. Moreover, he said, in the temple there's an idol. In a Hindu temple there's a, an image of God. Uh, in the mosque there is only void, because they don't have images. But in the heart, the light of God is shining and radiating. <clears throat> so the thing I want to say is that uh, that night, Baba had a massive heart attack after this program. And he was already having a heart attack during the program. And in retrospect, when he said, Mansur Mastana said that on the gallows, and I'm sitting in a velvet chair, he knew very well uh, that he was in a similar position. <clears throat> and I'll tell you about more of that. Maybe. Maybe I'll tell you more. Maybe I won't. David Ma lets me. There's a great understanding a person should contemplate over and over. And that is we're all born of one God. We're all born of one father and mother. We come from the same place. Where are you really from? <laughs> from that same place. <clears throat> because we don't have this understanding, we look upon everyone as being different. In the Gita, the Lord says, O oh Arjuna, you see so many infinite things in this world, but when a person realizes that all these things are me, then that person is no longer a sadhu, a sage, or a saint, that person becomes me. When we truly understand it, we merge in the divine. And now Baba says, too often these doctors are showing me the watch. That means that they're, they're sitting there because they know that he's ill, and they're going, cut it short, Baba. Cut it short. So Baba says, too often they're showing me the watch. Therefore, I conclude my talk. Still, I conclude by relating my message to you all. In America, all the reporters of the newspapers would ask me, what's your message? <clears throat> and I would say, it's very short. It's finished within a sentence. My message is meditate on yourself. Your Ram, your God dwells within you as you. Now my talk has come to an end. I love you, I love you. <laughs> Wonderful talk. So as I said that night, he had... Uh, um, massive heart attack, and everyone was uh, very freaked out. <clears throat> but 
He had had, uh, he'd had health problems before. He had a stroke a couple of years before. Um, and so somehow I, I knew that he was going to pull through this one. But we had a, shall I tell you the story? I won't name names. We had a meeting in, uh, at, at the head trustee's place. In the, across the road there was these condos. And so there were the new swamis, three new swamis, and the head trustee, and uh, one of the old swamis. Um, and uh, everyone was in an uproar. But I felt certain that Baba was going to pull through. Um, <clears throat> so uh, one of the new swamis uh, was, was hysterical. And he said, oh, this is terrible. Uh, he's going to die. It's just terrible. And he was freaking out. And then another, the old Swami, started saying, well, but there's only one person that can replace him, and that's me. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking, mm. <clears throat> and so, so everybody was hysterical, but he got through it. <laughs> <laughs> in volume two of my memoir, no, I don't put those things in, in memoirs. I'll just tell you privately. <laughs> <coughs> so now some more uh, question answers with Baba. Here's a few on, on uh, is this, uh, did I miss one? I did, I missed a fantastic one. <laughs> <coughs> this is, goes back earlier to my time with Baba in India, July 19, 1973. Uh, the three years I spent with Baba in his ashram in India. This feels a little bit like April in uh, Ganeshpuri today. Although in April in Ganeshpuri it's much hotter. May, it's unbelievably hot. Hot like you've never known. True? True. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, this was in 1973. Robert asked, <clears throat> Uh, Robert could have been, there was an American Robert who later became a, a, a what do you call it, a spiritual teacher of, uh, like Tony Robbins, what kind of teacher is that? What do they call it? Motivational. 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 What? Uh, not an Acharya, no. Life, life coach. A what? Life coach. Uh, life coach. Did you say life coach? No, Acharya is it. Acharya, no. I don't think he was an attorney. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> He's a life coach, a motivational speaker. <clears throat> but he said, how can I stop feeling guilty and impure and stop identifying with my faults and shortcomings? I feel this is a real block in my sadhana. And he was speaking for a lot of us. We were, go we were doing intense sadhana, spiritual practice. There was nothing to divert us. We just did all day long we contemplated our psyche, our inner being. We tried to curate our uh, inner world. And uh, all, every, all the stuff, all the nasty stuff uh, was coming up. And we had to deal with that and try to maintain connection with the self. <clears throat> so it's a good question. He's feeling guilty and impure and feeling his faults. Baba says, it is your feeling of guilt that's causing all this agony. Why don't you discard it? <laughs> that's very typical, Baba. Get rid of it. Yeah, Baba. Easier said than done. 
So I tell you one thing, Baba says, you might have committed many bad actions. You might have bathed yourself in hellish waters many times. You might even have done worse things than anybody in the world. <clears throat> but you should not forget that in spite of everything, you're living here in this very pure ashram <clears throat> and working on yourself intensely. Why don't you make yourself aware of this? All the people there were intensely interested in knowing the self, knowing the truth. <clears throat> Though you might have done the worst things, you're now in Ganeshpuri with me. Why shouldn't your mind keep to this awareness? So you, we, we make a selection from uh, our history, don't we, to brood about. So instead of brooding about all the bad things, brood about the good things. You're doing sadhana here with me, he says. <clears throat> all your karmic impressions lie buried in the sushumna, the central nerve. <clears throat> and in the yoga of Kundalini, they say that all memories and everything is stored in the central canal. Uh, it's uh, the subtle spine, you could say. And it's the storehouse of all these past, past history. Sometimes when you're in a powerful temple or in the place of a siddha, or in the presence of your guru, these impressions become active. That the, the guru's presence can catalyze all these things will come up in order to be handled, got rid of them. They rise to the conscious surface just to be expelled from your mind, just to leave your mind pure by their exit. I saw that many, many times when people came to Ganeshpuri. Sometimes they would go through all kinds of stuff. Stuff would come up. Memories would flood them, and tendencies would flood them, and so on. Happens here, too, occasionally. <laughs> you should not belittle yourself by seeing only your faults. In fact, you should keep congratulating yourself on your exceptionally good fortune by saying to yourself, I might have committed many bad actions, but at present I'm in such a sacred place doing spiritual practices in the ashram in Ganeshpuri. So you can say, I've come to the ashram in Mount Eliza. And that's very good. And I'm in the holy land of Australia. <clears throat> Baba says, you should disengage your mind from feelings of guilt. This is just a phase of the mind. This is the true curatorial, isn't it? It's like, Baba's very practical. He'd say, why would you select, why do you want to dwell on stuff that causes you pain? Instead, dwell on that which uplifts you. You can make that choice. And I was trained in my early life to dwell on suffering and to expand it and dwell and obsess about it and think about all the people that had hurt me and all the ways I hadn't measured up and to just go on and on and on. It's like scratching a scab. And you just keep scratching that scab and you don't get satisfaction from it, do you? You just open it up and you have to get another scab. So uh, that's the way it was. <clears throat> Instead, you should repeat the mantra as much as you can. Baba's great method to say Om Namah Shivaya over and over again. <clears throat> it only takes one second, one moment for you to become pure, particularly if you're in a sacred place, a temple or the Guru's abode. You should keep thinking... I'm in an ashram, and this is a supremely pure place. 
So I've become completely pure. You should not recall your past bad actions. You should only remember the Lord who lives within you. You should not identify yourself with the innumerable fancies or thoughts that rise in your mind from moment to moment. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Bloody hard to do, though. You have to work very hard to make that operational, and yet that's always going to be the answer. You have to curate what goes on inside you and select that which is healthy. Just like you, you try to eat healthy food and you try to uh, have, watch healthy entertainment, maybe. <clears throat> and so you should think healthy thoughts. Instead, you should identify yourself with the source from which all these fancies arise. That source is the self, and the self is you. You suffer because of your wrong approach. There is no sin, no dirt in the world that could ever make your sahasrar or your heart impure. The heart chakra, or the sahasrars, is the uppermost center. Nothing can make them impure, even the worst person. They can't be impure. <clears throat> the, the sahasrar and the heart are the seats of divinity, and nothing can sully their purity. Beautiful. When, you know, this was a revelation to me when Baba spoke like this, because I was also plagued by a lot of guilt. I didn't know where the guilt was from, actually. You know, so, but I, I felt that. And he said, no, your essence is purity. And he would tell the story <clears throat> of what must have been a real experience. He went to, to um, Benares, Varanasi, and he was sitting there, and uh, a Brahmin priest came up to him, and uh, they, they want to do pujas for you, make a little money, do a puja for you. And he said, leave me alone, leave me alone. But the guy was persistent. So I said, okay, okay, I'll do a, do a puja. Uh, so he's, the, he started saying, all right, say, the priest said to him, say, papo hum, papo hum. This way Baba tells it. Uh, papo hum means I'm a sinner. And Baba, the way Baba tells it, he says, I told that priest, I'm not a sinner, I am pure, I am the self, you're a sinner, go away. That's not probably what actually happened, but that's the way the story goes. <clears throat> but it, it struck him that the priest was saying, say you're a sinner, and the real teaching of the Upanishads is you're pure. Your essence is pure. He says, uh, <clears throat> if sins were to try to affect their purity, sins would lose their sinfulness if they attacked the heart and the sasra. Why do you identify with all kinds of fancies and thoughts that arise in your mind? Why don't you identify with the brilliant light that shines in your sahasrar, or with the Lord who is present in your heart? You should remember that only by your understanding do you enjoy heaven or suffer hell. Another wonderful thing to contemplate, that our life is painful or joyous because of the, our own understanding, not because of circumstances. We always blame circumstances, other people, and events. But it's all the condition of our minds. Another reason to curate our minds, make them move positively. You should change your understanding. <clears throat> Keep yourself aware of the supreme inner purity. The divine light within you 
cannot be affected or bound by any fancy that may arise in your mind. What has happened is that you've gotten caught in fancies and thoughts of your own creation and identified yourself with imaginary faults and sins. You might have done the worst things in your life, but now that you're here in the ashram doing good things, remain aware of that. A marvelous answer. <clears throat> you could say the whole teaching is there in some ways. Let's see. <clears throat> Here's a few little questions on the guru. How's it like that? Can I have some more hot water? <clears throat> Question. This was from later. This is from the, the world tour, not from the Ganeshpuri days. Thanks. Question. Is my inner self my own guru? Baba. The inner self is your guru if you have access to your inner self. <laughs> Very interesting. A lot of times when we say I'm in touch with the inner guru, what we're really in touch with is our inner mind and, and our inner uh, uh, desires and so on. So if we're really in touch with the inner self, then that's fine. Baba says a guru is one who can show you the way. If your inner self can show you the way, very good. In meditation, you should look for the inner self and see if you can receive guidance from it. Question. I've tried to do that, but there are no results yet. <laughs> Baba, in that case, you should look for an outer guru, and the inner self can be your guru later. <clears throat> you have the inner self as a guru at a later stage. You need another guru at this stage, an outer guru. <clears throat> Question. What's the difference between the outer form of the guru and the inner guru? Baba, that is the true guru who dwells inside. The true guru has no form. The scripture says the guru is the self, so the inner self is the true guru. As long as you do not receive the grace of the inner self, outer wisdom is not going to work for you. The outer guru dwells inside also. Remember that the guru is not the body, the guru is the grace-bestowing power of God. Lord Shiva said, O goddess, understand that I am the guru who makes the mantra active and who makes the shakti work inside. So the inner shakti is the guru. <clears throat> Question. I've been relating to the inner guru as the shakti. Now that you're here, is it important to establish a relationship with the outer guru? Baba, if you have the inner relationship, the outer relationship just develops naturally. It is only when you have a relationship with the inner guru that you can perceive the truth. If you have an outer guru, you also have the same guru inside. If you have a guru on the inside, you don't have one, and don't have one on the outside, you don't have a guru. Interesting. <clears throat> Certainly, uh, I can speak for my own experience that meeting Baba catalyzed something inside me. That before, before I was in Baba's presence and received Shaktipat from him, um, I couldn't sort out what was going on in my brain. There might have been impulses that came from the self, but there were a lot of impulses that came from the non-self, from desire, from fear, from paranoia, from self-hatred, all kinds of things. And they kept coming up powerfully, and I couldn't sort them out. 
But when I met Baba, it started to sort itself out. Question. What if you don't have a living guru, but you're following the teachings of a master who's no longer on this earth? Baba, if you're following the teachings of a particular master, even if he's no longer in the physical form, by his grace, you'll be able to meet a living master one day. And that often happened, that the people would have an experience of their own master sending them to uh, the living guru. <clears throat> if he's a realized master, he'll appear to you in a vision or he'll give an indication in some other way telling you to go to a particular living master. It can come just as an intuition, a feeling of, uh, that that's needed to be done. Many people have had such an experience. The master is only concerned about the advancement of his disciple. So if he's not in the physical form, he will send you to a living guru who can take care of you. Gurus are not interested in monopolizing disciples as their exclusive property. They're only interested in the progress of the disciple. Such gurus, even if they have left their bodies, will always give messages from within. So that's that. <clears throat> the guru, in the guru world, gurus only get, get um, merit. They get um, cryptocurrency in the, in the uh, subtle world if their disciples make progress. <clears throat> So, my cryptocurrency may or may not be so good. <laughs> Depends on some of you. <clears throat> a couple on uh, a couple on um, work in the world. Question: Is my work as a businessman an obstacle to the spiritual path? Good question, isn't it? Baba. Towards the end of the Gita, Lord Krishna answers this question when he says, the same supreme being stretches in all directions. All activities and pursuits, all names and forms in this world are only different manifestations of the truth, of, the, of, the, of God. Anyone who worships God following his vocation is fulfilling the purpose of his birth. For example, a musician can worship God with music, provided he has no selfish motive. A teacher can worship God by teaching what he has to teach, provided he teaches selflessly. And you can work on that. You can, you can start with the selfish motive, and then you can purify that. Uh, and it's a very clear difference. When it's selfless, there's an upliftment in it. And you're not so worried about what other people think. <coughs> A businessman can worship God, providing he does it without selfish desire. A farmer can worship God by raising crops in his fields, provided he does it selflessly. By doing it selflessly, I mean dedicating it to God. No matter what your pursuit in the world, if you dedicate it to God, it becomes a spiritual pursuit. No matter what your field of activity, if you were to follow it without personal desire for its fruits, that too would be great yoga. So he mentioned the Bhagavad Gita. Of course, the Gita talks about karma yoga. And it says that when you do activities without attachment to the fruits, uh, then that becomes a perfect yoga. Um, 
I've noticed that even in sports psychology, they notice that the athletes all say, I don't have, as long as I just do the, the, the thing, whatever it is, swing a golf club or a cricket bat or kick a ball or shoot a basketball, and I do it without worrying about the outcome. It's, it's worrying about the outcome that hangs us up. You just do the action as, as kind of a surrender to God or, or a worship of God, and then let the chips fall where they may. And one more on the same kind of topic. <clears throat> Devotee. And this is from, uh, oh, this is much earlier. This is Baba in India in the 60s sometime. Baba, please give me some advice. Give some advice to us who are worldly people with family responsibilities. Baba, who is a worldly man? It's not the children, wife, home, and business that bind a person to the world. It is being lost in attachment and aversion that binds one to the world and makes one a worldly man. So it's again, it's an inner thing, isn't it? The way our attitude is. A strong, as, as long as attachment and aversion arise in one's mind, one will continue to experience the duality of pleasure and pain. This is uh, one of the essential teachings of the sages, Patanjali, for example, Raga Dvesha. Raga is attachment, I want. Dvesha is uh, aversion, I don't want, I hate. And so we're caught between uh, these two movements, what I want and what I hate, what I seek and what I fear. And so we're caught, in a, and because that, we're always living in a state of, of tension between Raga and Dvesa. <clears throat> and um, Patanjali says that that's the essence of, of uh, the suffering in the world, is this attachment and aversion. If we could overcome these two, we would be free. He says, where did I get to? <clears throat> the only way out is to learn to renounce the world mentally, even while living and working in the world. Real happiness lies in such renunciation. When you live in the world uh, and you think that you can get ultimate value from external things, then you're into attachment and aversion. Uh, when you live in the world and you know that ultimate value can only come from the self, from inside, from the divine, then you can do your job in the world without attachment in a detached way. Baba says, everyone unknowingly experiences this happiness while relaxing at night. However enterprising and rich a man may be, he cannot be happy unless he gets a good night's rest. But to get a night's rest, he has to cast aside not only his wealth and possessions, but also his thoughts and even business plans for the time being. <clears throat> Thus he becomes happy by abandoning and not by embracing worldly thoughts during sleep. Try to attain this thought-free state of mind even while you're awake. What's he saying? He's saying sleep is so refreshing because you're free of all of that stuff, attachment and aversion. So you can be asleep while awake if you get rid of this attachment and aversion, where you find that sweet spot that's at the core of it, that's beyond it, in a way. 
Reach out to it right now in this moment. Can you feel that place? What if you lived your life just the way you're living it now, only free of attachment and aversion? So you, instead of hating different people, being so caught up in choices, instead of being attached to certain outcomes or certain people, just live freely. It's actually a choice. Of course, it's something we have to work on because it's sticky and it's habitual, so we have strong habits. <coughs> Baba goes on. One does not have to abandon anything physically to attain God. And this is true of his yoga. He said, you don't have to go to a cave. You can do it right in situ, right where you are. <coughs> Even if one wishes, one cannot do so because everyone's destiny is preordained. Can't get out of it. Stuck, sorry. Stuck in that lousy job. <coughs> it can neither be put off nor changed. Destiny. Therefore, learn to make the best use of your circumstances and the means at your disposal. Let the world remain as it is. Try to forget it and turn your mind inwards. Sit quietly and meditate on the self. So that's why he'd emphasize every day, sit for a while and focus on the self. Make that a habit of knowing that place inside. Visualize and realize God within you. My advice to you is that just as you reserve time for business and other activities, devote some time to the repetition of the mantra and meditation. If you keep up regularly in this practice, you will find that gradually it continues effortlessly throughout the day. There's so much power in the mantra that by meditating on it or by repeating it, a person becomes godlike in the course of time. This has not happened in other cases. For instance, continuous repetition of the name of a doctor or an engineer will not make a person a doctor or an engineer. But if you repeat God's name, you'll become God. <laughs> That's a good deal. <clears throat> Develop the spirit of faith and surrender to God. Invest in God so that he'll help you in the hour of need. Great stuff, huh? All right, so let's make a small investment. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. Baba would emphasize daily practice. And he would emphasize not worrying about where you've gotten or where you're getting. You know, I used to obsess about what I was getting, and, you know, and I'd be very vexed when bad thoughts would come up, negative thoughts and self-hatred. And I'd say, oh, I haven't attained anything, blah, blah, blah. And Bob would say, don't worry about it. Just keep doing your practice. So he emphasized every day you should meditate. Every day. Every day you should say the mantra. And if there's an ashram in your neighborhood, visit that ashram. And if there's an intensive going on, take that intensive. <coughs> uh, and, uh, and then don't look for where you are. Don't compare yourself to others. That's a terrible, vicious disease we have, comparing ourselves to others. That person's better than me. That person's getting more than me. Compared to that person, I'm a loser. So give up that kind of way of looking. And just keep doing it. And, and he would say, uh, naturally, as a child grows to adulthood, 
So if you do the practice and continue it, you become an adult spiritually. And, so, and after a time you discover, I'm much more in control of my anger, my paranoia, my despair, my guilt feelings, my unhappiness. I'm much more in connection with my joy, my energy, and my love, my happiness. And so just do the practice. So let's meditate for 10 minutes. <clears throat> and uh, the goal of meditation is to meditate on the self. And he would always emphasize that within every person, there is this great purity in the heart, in the sahasrara, in the third eye. There'd be this great space of consciousness and of love. And we have to find that place. Yes, there's neurosis. Yes, there's negative thoughts. Yes, there's this and that. But go deeper than that. Go to the place that's always pure. So we'll meditate on the self for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, looking forward to seeing you all at the intensive tomorrow. I welcome you all with all my heart. Satgurnat, Maharaj, Kijay. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <coughs>